Thank you, Michael. Thank you, choir. Thank you, praise team. Good morning, Hunters Glen. It is good to see you this morning. What a privilege it is to be with you in worship, blessed to share God's with you this morning. If you have a copy of God's word in print or digital form, we're gonna trust you're not on Facebook, but you can take that digital format as well. Join me in the book of Ephesians, the New Testament, Ephesians chapter four. We're gonna read a few verses together in just a moment. If you're not familiar with where that book is, happy to help you get there. If you can get to Galatians, or if you go past into Philippians, you went a little far, come back. It's right there tucked in between Ephesians chapter four. Do you remember when you were a child and you were running a three-legged race, maybe even when you went to mom or dad's company picnic or when churches would have family fellowships and picnics and they would have a three-legged race. You would begin at the starting line once you identified your partner and you would tie one of your legs to your partner's leg. At the word go, You took off as fast as you could, either walking or running, but often before long, one of you was probably being tripped up, feeling like you're being dragged along by your partner. Eventually, you go face down in the ground, don't you? When you're being overpowered by your partner who's trying to win the race and run faster or walk faster than you are because you want the blue ribbon, somebody tumbles over. You know, our relationships in the local church are very similar sometimes to a three-legged race. Generations tied together, trying to run a race but struggling to cross the finish line. Unity in the church is as difficult to maintain as staying upright and not falling over in a three-legged race. Regardless though of the difficulties, the text that we read this morning and all throughout scripture Regardless of the difficulties, the church, which is plan A for the gospel to go forward, the church is meant to work in unity. Bruce McCracken said these words, a unified church is one of the strongest evidences of the truth of the gospel. My desire should this church call our family to come and to serve alongside each and every one of you is to walk together in building a New Testament unified body. Would you stand as we read aloud together? Passage will be on the screen, Ephesians chapter four, verses one through six. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You may be seated. Thank you for joining us in honoring God's word. You find your listening notes there in the bulletin and we will work through those together. You know, when you buy a new piece of technology or you go to Ikea and you buy something that's gonna take a lot of work to put it together, usually when you open the box, you find that instruction manual, the owner's manual. Now, men don't read owner's manuals. Just not wired for that. We fumble our way through, we look at the picture on the box, we get a teenager to help us. We don't read manuals. And if we can't figure it out, we just throw it across the room because we're frustrated and we're done with it. Somebody else can mess with it. N.T. Wright, who is a great theologian and pastor and author, he said these words, people tend to operate things first and read the instruction manual later. The trouble is though, things go wrong. And they might go wrong fast. They may go wrong quicker if you fail to read the instruction manual. But most people will at least keep the instruction manual handy. Maybe you're like me and you just put it in that junk drawer in the kitchen. You know you have one, it's okay. You throw it in there in case you need to reference it someday. It's nearby. See, in Ephesians chapter four, in the text we read this morning, Paul is taking his readers, he's taking this church in Ephesus back to the owner's manual, back to the instructions, helping them understand the clarity of what living the Christian life is all about. And so I wanna give you a few simple instructions from our text this morning. If we wanna be a unified body, if we wanna go forward together in unity, we experience community. That's the first thought. Unity means we experience community. Look again at verse one. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now understand here, church, the calling is not to a pastor as it is today. The calling that Paul is talking about is not even to a, a ministry calling. It's, it's not to a missionary calling. It is a calling to every Christian and every believer and every follower of Jesus Christ to be unified together. That's the calling. A man I greatly admire is a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German martyr. Bonhoeffer said these words, Christian community is not an ideal which we must realize. It is a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. We get to be involved. We get to be part of the race, but we gotta tie up together in unity. You know, throughout the several months of meeting with your incredible, wonderful search team. Often our conversations, our discussions, questions would focus on this important 
not just simply idea, but reality of unity together. And that desire, that calling to pursue all things is what has led us to this point today. In our text, Paul is challenging us to walk together. But you see, one of the hardest things about living and experiencing Christian community together is there's a lot of different personalities in there. Different opinions, different ideas. Pastor, I think we should fill in the blank. It's hard. Difference in leadership style. Difference in vision. And all of those differences, church, have pulled many a Christian community apart. Divided them. Fractured them. Ended them. Paul reminds Christians that the main calling of the church is to experience community in unity. I like what David Gusick writes. He says, a worthy walk before God will be marked by lowliness and gentleness, not a pushy desire to defend our own rights and advance our own agendas. We experience community by giving up what we want and choosing and receiving and accepting what he wants. The struggle is that we have grown so accustomed to disunity, division, dysfunction in the world in which we live in. We forget that there is this fundamental need, almost requirement for a New Testament church to have a reality of walking and doing things together in unity. We're called though, as believers, as the church, we are called to be radically united in a world that is not. It's a calling, and it's a worthy calling to pursue, Paul says. But you have to understand that the New Testament church then, and even now, was really a rather odd place to exist in. It was full of Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, free and enslaved, and all of these people from different backgrounds mixing together with very little distinction between what usually separates people in the socioeconomic boundaries that exist. But you see, the type of church that Hunter's Glen desires and longs to build and to grow and to be is not like the world that we understand. It is a place where all things mix together and it just is normal. It's not odd. It's not different. It's reality. It's true. It's special. Unity through community is essential to 
breaking down barriers, removing walls, and promoting the gospel to a world that is fragmented and rife with what I would call hyper-individualism, all about themselves. But remember what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 133, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And so going back to the owner's manual, we find kind of this second step, the second part of putting all the pieces together in unity means that we advance the gospel. Living in unity as a church community is important because it's all about advancing the gospel. There's a passage in the first book of our Bibles, the book of Genesis, the Old Testament, Genesis chapter two, verse 18. It says that God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. Now, often we read that context and we think just in the context of a Western understanding of marriage and we say, well, that means I need to get married someday. That's not what he's writing in the moment. He's saying God has created you as a human being. He has breathed life into you and it is not good for you to be by yourself. You were not designed or created for isolation. You were designed for relationships to experience life with people. And the people of God under the New Testament covenant are not meant to be alone. You need a family. You need a church body. And there's a unique book called In uh, Reversed under thunder and it is uh, the, the the kind of the subtitle if you will is the revelation of john and praying imagination it was written by eugene peterson he's also the one who had a great hand in the message bible peterson says the gospel is never for individuals but always for a people he says sin fragments us separates us and sentences us to solitary confinement. The gospel, though, restores us, unites us, and sets us in community, sets us in a home, and the life of faith revealed and nurtured in the biblical narratives of the text that we read is highly personal, but never individual. There's always a family. There's always a tribe. There's always a nation. There's always a church. God's love and salvation are revealed and experienced in the congregation of people. But you see, the reality was the struggle became very real to each and every one of us in 2020 and the advent of social distancing where every church on planet Earth was seeking to stream their services, not because they wanted to, but because of necessity. But you see, that move abruptly, I think, reminded each and every one of us who love the church and love being with people that it separated us from the community, didn't it? 
It was a struggle. And while you can attend online and we thank those who are watching online, I hope I look taller there than I do here. (laughs) You can watch online, but I'm telling you, streaming services is a disembodied experience with no physical presence or interaction. See, Christ was embodied in human flesh, came to this earth and the community meeting together physically to worship him in spirit and in truth, and he became the embodied proof of Christ the incarnate. And the church today is that proof. The church is unified across all time and all places through one thing, the gospel, and the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Regardless of your culture, your ethnicity, your background, the differences you bring to the table, the generational preferences of which you have, the church is unified if she functions in the fashion in which she was created. You see, the story of the church is the greatest story of God's redeeming work that culminates in God's son, Jesus. Unity is a gift from God, Richard Lent says. A gift that is meant to be maintained because God is the one who created it in the first place. See, we don't create unity. We don't just show up and I'm here today, therefore I'm unified with this body. No, God created it and we have the mandate to maintain it. To do whatever necessary, to do the hard, gritty work with all the differences that we represent because the gospel is worth it. Jesus would pray for our unity, church. We often recite the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, but in John chapter 17, we discover the the Lord prayed for us. And in verse 21 of John 17, it says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, through this lens of the gospel, The unity of the church is shown to the world and people find Jesus. But finally, I want to give you one other part of the instruction manual. Back in verses two and three, and it is that we display his love. See, the world's watching us. They're watching to see if the fractions that they're so used to beyond the walls of this great sanctuary are gonna find their way on the inside. But Paul warns, he says, with all humility, verse two, and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for what? One another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In John chapter 13, verse 35, John tells us 
that the people are watching and Jesus is the one who is speaking and they will know one day that we are his disciples by one thing and one thing only, how we love one another. It's helpful, I think, in pausing for a moment to remember that someday every individual Christian on this planet will have to stand before a holy God and give an account of their conduct to Jesus. What will we have to show for ourselves someday before God? Will we be proud, will you be proud of the battles that you fought someday when you stand before Jesus? Picture for a moment on judgment day when Christ comes to you, will you be proud of the battles and how you stood your ground when you stand before Christ? I suspect that most of our social media debates will not be among those things we're proud of. See, people see our unity displayed church both online and in person. We display his love in every aspect and facet of our lives. Love came in a manger to rescue us from ourselves. Love came to a cross and died and then rose from the grave three days later. Love healed the blind, love cleansed the leper, love taught the truth, love gave hearing to the deaf, love fed the multitudes. All the while, that same love pursued unity in the body that it might be captured by his grace. Love is not a concept. Love is a person. And his name is Jesus. And he loves you. Everybody in this room no matter where or what you come from, every one of us longs for and has a desire to be loved. An enduring love, something that we can experience, something that goes beyond my mistakes as a human. The kind of love that only Christ can give, but the kind of love that produces this unbreakable, unshakable unity of a New Testament church. You hear this text often at weddings, but it goes beyond the marriage. The type of love that we display to a world is patient and kind. Does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on having its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Building a unified church, Hunter's Glen, takes time. It takes commitment from both the leadership of Hunter's Glen and the laity of Hunter's Glen. And sometimes patience in building unity 
is why some churches stagnate and struggle because they want to see results sooner than they are seeing them. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does the hard work together to achieve the end result. Don't worry what others think. Be humble to maintain what's at stake for the best of the whole. Sean Stevenson said these words, everyone has to do their part. The insiders and the outsiders in any church need to be involved, invested, stepping outside of their own issues and their own preferences, swallowing that lump of pride in their throat and reaching out a hand to the person next to them. Because there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. See, the call today is more than for a possible pastor at Hunter's Glen. The call is to walk in a manner worthy of being called a follower of Jesus and doing so in unity. To grow in community and experience this life together, advancing the gospel because the gospel changes and transforms any and all lives, and displaying the love of Jesus to a watching world. They may not listen to us all the time, but they see you. You ready to run a three-legged race? Ready to link legs together and do everything possible not to fall down? We are. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, God, for the reminder that Paul gave the great church in Ephesus of the importance of unity and not allowing divisions and distractions to take away from what you have established as your church and your body. And so, Lord, we desire nothing more than to follow you, to trust you, and to do so linked together. Would you give us the strength would you help us to keep our eyes focused on you, our energies focused on you? And we promise that we'll give you all the glory, and the praise, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, today maybe the Lord has spoken to you through a broken vessel like myself. And maybe he's calling you to unite your life in true fellowship with the one true God. True fellowship with one another is wonderful, but it really cannot be fully experienced until you find fellowship with Jesus. And so if that's you today, we have some wonderful people who are ready to receive you and pray for you and encourage you. Is God calling you to unite your family with this 
local church family known as Hunter's Glen Baptist Church, that's you, you come today. This community of faith is ready to receive you, to tie a rope around your leg and run a race together. I invite you to come in a moment when we sing. The ministers will be down front. Pastor Don and myself will be on the front pew. If you desire and prefer, you can go out to the Welcome Center just outside those doors. Some amazing, wonderful people are ready to receive you, assist you in any way possible. My friends, the invitation is to be obedient to the calling of the Spirit on your life this morning. Let's stand, let's sing together.